0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. I want to start by talking about Paul for a second. Uh, in Romans 9, uh, before I jump into this passage, I want to kind of give you a Paulian look at it, I guess, would be the way to say it. Probably not the way to say it. this the way I'm going to say it. Uh, he's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters who don't know God And he says this, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. And so I I found this passage really interesting before we get into the vine, because we're going to be talking about what it means to be in Christ. And Paul equates the worst possible thing ever as being cut off from Christ, right there. He says, look, if I could do the worst thing ever, it would be cut off from Christ, but I'm willing to do that if people know him. But that's the, the, the part that stood out to me that verse, is Paul saying, this is the worst thing I can think of. Paul has been tortured, Paul has been jailed, Paul has been shipwrecked, and the worst thing he can think of is being cut off from Christ. And so when I flip that around, the logic of that would say that the best thing possible, in Paul's opinion, and if you read any of Paul, you find that he believes this to be true, is that being in Christ, being fully in Christ, is everything to him. It is where he finds all his satisfaction, all his hope, all his joy. And so then we start looking and say, well, what does the Bible say about being with Christ? Sorry, my throat is really sore today, so if I take a couple sips from the soda can, you know what that's about. Ah, That's good. Okay, so let's get into this. Let's read uh, this verse, and and Jesus is going to set up what it means to be in him and to not be in him, and we're going to talk about how that works out in real life. He says, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's a lot, isn't it? So we were uh, Tuesday night. I, I, Paul, uh, Paul, I just made you Paul. How do you feel about that? You okay with that? Ted was gone, not Paul. All right, Ted was gone and I uh, he was at a, an event and I had to cover for him. I got to cover for him. It was an honor. I love talking to the college kids. It's so much fun. And we got to this verse, and I asked him some questions about this, and and Ted and I were kind of chatting on the side about this would be a good thing to go into depth on, following some of the things we'd already been talking about. And I love this chapter. I'm a little intimidated by it. Uh, It is... of a lot of stuff. You hear abide a lot. You hear about these branches and these vines. Jesus is laying down some, some really good theology about how he interacts with us, how we interact with him, and how God is involved in all of that. Uh, it really spells out the idea uh, to me that Jesus sees this as a relationship from top to bottom that Jesus sees our relationship with him is important, but also he spells in God's relationship to us in this too. Uh, and, and a lot of times when I'm thinking about my Christianity, I think about Jesus only, right? But Jesus is very clearly saying that God has a role in this and he's going to play a role in it and we need to be aware of it. So let's jump into this. Okay, Uh, if you're reading chapter 14 and you're going into 15, this is a continuation. Uh, One of the good things to do when you're reading the Bible is read a little bit before whatever it is you're studying and read a little bit after whatever you're studying to see how it fits in. The chapters, if you know this, the chapters in the Bible were not put there by Jesus. Jesus did not say, stop, 14's over, 15 has now begun. Right? It's not like there's an act here. What what happened is the people who wrote the Bible uh, or who translated it into English thought it would be good to put breaks in, so we'd understand where things were broken apart and where may, maybe new things were happening. But it still ties together. If you understand 14, you understand 15 better. And so 14 is kind of cool because it ends with him saying, "Look, uh, my days are few, basically. All right, and I'm trusting God to order these days. My my life, my uh, redemption, everything I've been talking to you about is going to be in the hands of God. And I trust God the Father to be able to work out these next couple of days. And he has a plan, and I'm part of it, and it's going to be good. So even God talks about putting his, tr- or Jesus talks about putting his trust in God the Father and the plan that God has for the redemption of mankind and that he plays a part in that. So then he goes on in the first verse, and he talks about the vine dresser. God, this is to me really, really, interesting that he decides in this metaphor to pull god into this when i first read this when i'm reading through this chapter for the first time right uh maybe not the first time but when i first started really studying it i i was i kind of felt like it was unnecessary at first i was like why do we really yes god is a vine dresser and that's awesome but really the whole point of this chapter is to abide in christ right? The rest of the chapter, most of the chapter, is going to say abide like three billion times. So that's the point, right? So why does Jesus take the time in verse one and verse two and a little bit of verse three to talk about God the Father? How does that play in to how we abide in Christ? And as I studied it more and more, I started to realize it's pretty important. The vine dresser has two jobs. How many of you guys have vines at home? Anybody got vines? Anybody? No? Okay, have you ever been near a vine? Okay, have you ever experienced vineness? Okay, no. Yes, some people have, some people haven't. All right, I hope you have experienced a vine because this is going to make a lot more sense if you know what a vine looks like and how it works. Okay, some of you guys know we bought like a small farm to live on, like a couple acres so that we could uh, expand out and have, well, part of it is vines. We wanted to have vines. Uh, We wanted to have grapes and, and berries and things that grow on vines. What I'm finding about vines, maybe you know this if you have them, is they grow uncontrolled. Have you seen that? Like if you have a vine, it takes over. And so if you're not carefully watching it and taking care of it, and and it, it can get wild, it can get uh, it could cause other trees harm. It could cause other plants or vines harm. So you constantly have to be gardening it, right? And that's what we're finding. They like literally are going everywhere in our ho- at our house, and pretty soon we will be all vines and nothing else. And so I'm constantly out there cutting and trimming, and that's, that's what Jesus is alluding to here. He's saying, hey, let me draw a metaphor for you so you can understand how God plays his role in my relationship and in my relationship with you. Let me talk about a vine. Right? Now, if I'm cutting out cutting my vines, okay, which I was doing yesterday, and I got a sunburn, which I was denying until today when it burnt, and then I realized I really did get a sunburn because I couldn't see it. My wife's like, you got sunburned. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. She took a picture of it to prove to me that I was sunburned, but I denied it. I said it was the color of her foam. I don't know why. I just, why you would deny something like a sunburn, but I didn't feel it, so it didn't exist. I felt it today, so it existed. All right, so... Uh, I'm out cutting and, and trimming and, and doing vines, and, and I've got grapes, and I want these grapes to grow, right? And if I don't cut these grapes, if I don't get in there and be like, okay, clip this, keep this, cut this back, clean this up, then when the harvest comes out, it won't be as I'll still get a harvest of grapes. It just won't be as good as it could be, right? I won't get as much fruit as I could. And so that's what God, Jesus is saying God does. He's saying he plays two roles, Okay. He cuts and cleans and he removes. And the remove part has always been hard for me because I'm like, what does that mean, right? There's two types of branches, the kind that are withered that he's going to cut away and eventually he says he's going to throw on a fire and they're going to burn, right? It's like, well, that's hell. But then I struggle with that a little bit because the, the verse says these vines, these branches are in him. So does that mean Christians can be cut away? I, and for a long time, this was a hard verse for me. to I just kind of glossed over it because I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I don't think John believes you can lose your salvation. But what does this verse mean? We have to dig into this a little bit. And then the second thing he does is he prunes and he adjusts the living branches so that they can bear more fruit. That's the job of the vine brancher, or the vine, the vine dresser, okay? So let's talk about the branches that do not bear fruit. I want to talk about those first because I think it's important. Branches that don't bear fruit cause other branches that do bear fruit to not be as plentiful. Okay, This is true uh, of Christians. This is true of non-Christians. This is true of uh, actual plants. When you have something that's dead hanging onto a vine, it's, it's not going to allow other things to grow as well. So if I want things to grow on a vine, I have to go in and cut the dead stuff out. Okay, in this case, what is Jesus talking about? What is the dead stuff that he's talking about? Is he talking about Christians? Is he talking about non-Christians? I think it's important to identify that. And not just because we want it to be non-Christians or Christians, but because we want to see what the Bible actually says. So if you look in John, who's writing this book, he's going to give you a clue in other verses that he believes that what Jesus is talking about right here is non-Christians. Okay, I'm explain that a little bit deeper in just a second. But let me tell you why John thinks that. Uh, in John 6:37 and 39, he says, All who come to me will never be cast out. Right? That's Jesus talking. John quotes Jesus saying, All who come to me, I'll keep. Uh, I don't lose any of them, not one. Uh, in John 10:27 and 28, he says, You don't believe, you are not my sheep because you don't believe. And he talks about how his sheep don't get lost. We've heard the parable of the sheep where he goes looking for the one lost sheep, he doesn't lose any, ever. And so John is very specific that he believes once you know Jesus, he will not lose you. Jesus hangs on, he keeps you. Once you have salvation, you don't have to be saved again, you're saved. Uh, Jesus will not let go, right? And, And it's interesting because he says, if you're in me, and I think Jesus here is saying, There's two types of believers. There's two types of disciples. You can be a disciple, but not be a disciple. Does that make sense? You can believe, but not be a believer. We have examples of this. Think of Judas. Judas Judas followed Jesus around uh, his whole ministry and at the very end betrayed him. Judas was a disciple, he followed Jesus. He, he claimed Jesus, but he didn't believe in Jesus. And so what, G, what this is saying is God is going to clean that out. God is going to separate the Christians from the non-Christians so that the Christians can grow. He's going to clear out the stuff that's not growing because he's not willing to let Christians be stifled or suffocated. And, and at first I really struggled with this. I'm like, if he keeps cutting out the dead stuff, why can't he just make the dead stuff live and, and then we'll all grow as a vine? I, I struggled with that for a really long time. But the reality is God knows what's dead. He knows. Now, we don't get to judge. We don't get to say, oh, you're dead. God, cut psh, sh, cut that out. That's bothering me, <laughs> right? That's just, psh, that's got to go. God's like, no, that's not your call. You don't know if it's dead or not. That's my call. You, you, you preach and talk to everybody like they're living. I will cut out the dead stuff and clear what needs to be moved when it needs to be moved. Uh, and we're going to get into that a little further. See, here's the thing. I think this whole passage, you realize Jesus is about to go to the cross, right? And shortly after Jesus goes to the cross, he's going he's to go to heaven, and, and the believers are going to be left uh, to fend for themselves with the, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not going to be side by side with them anymore. I think he's getting them ready. I think he's saying, okay, hey, look, there's some stuff coming, and so far I've been a buffer between that but I'm not going to be here to be a buffer. So I'm getting you ready for two things. I'm getting ready, ready for defections. There's going to be some. There's going to be some people that have worked with you and bled with you and sweat with you, and, and they're going to turn, and that's going to be difficult. And I'm also getting you ready for what's coming from the outside. There's going to be persecution. And, and so he talks about this. He makes this metaphor of the vine so that we're ready for what's coming. That's what he was talking to to the people that were reading this, hearing this that day. And I think it applies the exact same for us. Are we in a world where sometimes we suffer defections and they hurt? I think we are. Are we in, are we in the in a world where the outside world does not see us as friendly? I, I think we are. Uh, it's not always been the case in America, but more and more, I'm feeling, like Christians are looked at as I need to be on the defensive at all times. I need to be ready to to explain that I really do love and I really do care because most people that aren't Christians don't think that I do. And so I think Jesus is talking directly to us. It's it's like he's saying don't don't fear in this. The false will come out. The stuff that needs to be cleaned will. God has it under control all the defections, all the persecution, eventually God will take care of that. God has a plan for the people in our lives that are gonna hurt us, that aren't living, that are gonna hold us back. He has a plan for that. It's either to save them and make them part of the vine or eventually to take them away from it so they can't do that anymore. I think that's important to know. Okay, so let's move to the branches that do bear fruit. Okay, this one's a little easier. Okay, how many of you guys know the fruit of the Spirit? Turn to your neighbor and there's, there's, there's quite a few of them. How many can you get? Ready? Go. Because I'm going to read them to you in a minute. Okay, you ready? Got them? Okay. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who got them all? Okay, talk to Ted later. He'll buy you a candy bar. All right. So he didn't know he was doing that, but he knows now. All right. So guys, we got to hear this. Again, we were talking about this in, in small group on Tuesday. This is not a list of rules. This is not a list of something we have to live up to. This is not a list of something that God says or Paul is saying, do this. What Jesus is saying in this passage, and Paul is echoing here in Galatians, is that this is the fruit you produce when you are in Jesus. If you are not producing this fruit, you need to take a seriously look at what's going on in your life. Does it mean you'll always do it perfectly? And does it mean you'll always do it well? No. We're going to get into why here in a second. But this is how we know the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. We're producing this fruit. Okay, And that's really, really important when you're looking at the vine because he's going to talk a lot about the fruit that we produce. Um, read, I'm going to read Hebrews 12, 6, 10 through 11 for you. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained in it or buy it. So he's saying, look, it's not always going to be fun to be pruned, okay? If, if branches could speak, if a vine could speak, I'm sure when I showed up with my little shears and I started cutting stuff off, they're like, ow, it hurts, right? Quit doing that. Have you guys ever felt like you're being disciplined and it hurts and you're questioning why, right? Somehow we get this idea that, all, that God's a perfect gardener, so somehow he can prune us and clean us and develop us, and it's not going to hurt at all. But if it's not good, if it's something that's got to go, and it's got to be cut away, it's probably not going to be pleasant at first. Hebrews tells us that. Be ready. It tells us that God is going to use Persecution. The vine dresser uses persecution as one of, the way he, one of the ways he cleans us, one of the ways he develops us, one of the ways he works on us is through persecution. And it's like, why is this happening? Why did this happen with my job? Or, or why are these arguments taking place in my family? And why are things just not going well? It seems like God should be on my side. I quote that verse all the time. If God is for me, who can be against me? Well, sometimes God is against what's going in my life, right? And he knows it needs to go. And when God is against what's in my life, i got to let him cut it out. I've got to be okay with that process. As soon as I see painful things happening, I shouldn't be asking God, why are you allowing this? But God, what is your purpose in this? Because he's telling us, Jesus is telling us. It's not if it happens, it's when it happens. And it's going to be an ongoing process, the, the Greek here is like a present tense. He's saying, I'm going to be doing this. It's going to be going on. It doesn't have an end to it. Pretty cool. Okay, but this is what I like. Listen to this. Jesus wants us to see that our union with him is not isolated from life experience. It is influenced by life experience. More importantly, we're shown that God governs these experiences. It's not random. It has purpose. More fruit. So, so it's not like God's like, oh, well, that happened. Let me see how I can make that good. It's not that stuff happens to us and then God adjusts his plan. His plan is to use the stuff that happens to us to graft, him even, graft us even more into Christ. And as we graft more into Christ, as we develop more into Christ, we start to produce more fruit. As we produce more fruit, God continues to cut away and prune and clean and adjust. And we produce more fruit. It's an ongoing process. It's kind of cool. I like it. Okay, now, um, I want to make sure you guys understand one more thing before I move on to verse three. God is not the sap or the vine. Okay, if I have to put that in these terms, God is not the vine, God is not the sap. You know, when you look at a vine, that sap coming through it, if you go talk to somebody who knows a little bit about gardening, if I look at a grapevine that's been growing, I may or may not be able to tell if I'm looking at a dead branch or a, a, a good branch, right? And the way you can tell is you go up and bend it. And if it bends and doesn't break, that means there's sap running through it. There's, there, it's got life, right? Right? If it breaks off, it's dead. That's how you can tell. I mean, put that in comparison here. Sometimes God bends us a little bit. We're not dead. He's just making sure we know we're alive, right? And so sometimes he bends us a little bit. God is the person that's producing the process. Jesus is who we're grafted into. And because of that, we get to participate in a relationship that's pretty cool. Now, here comes verse 3. Verse 3 to me is the strangest verse in the Bible. Uh, I've studied this a lot, and I'm starting to get a hang of it, but when I first read it, I'm like, why is this verse even here? Let's just jump to verse 4, right? So verse 4 is where the abides start. Abide in me, I'll abide in you. If you abide in me, you'll get fruit. If you don't abide in me, it's not going to be good. And it goes on to the abides, and we're going to get there in a minute. But verse 3 is a, it was to me for a really long time a very strange Verse, all right? Verse three says, did I write it up there? I think I did. Um, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Well, what's the point of pruning and doing this stuff if we're already clean? For a long time, I struggled with that. Why would Jesus say, you're already clean? He's talking about the, the actual Greek word for prune is the same word he uses here for clean. They're the same Word, I wrote it down. I'm going to try to say it for you. Hold on a second. I'm not very good at Greek. Katharai, I think is how you say it. They, I pronounce it like three times with the pronouncing button on my Greek lexicon, and I still can't say it right. But it's Greek for pruning, cleaning, adjusting. And so I think the process God is talking about here is I'm still in the process of cleaning you in verse 2. I'm still, and then Jesus says, You're already clean. And so I, I, I don't know, I'm thinking, why is he saying this? If I'm already clean, then why does God need to clean me? If I'm not clean completely and God's working on me, then why is God, Jesus saying I'm already clean? And, and I struggled with this first for a while. Um, but I think there's a, a, an important note here. Okay, First, I, I want to tell you that God prunes and cleans to make us more fruitful. But from the day we accept salvation, we are clean in in God's eyes because of Jesus. So we got to first talk about this idea of salvation. As soon as you accept Christ as your Savior, as soon as you make him Lord of your life, you are clean. There's nothing you can do from that moment on that will make you worthy of hell. You have been saved. There is no going back. You are clean. You are already fit into the vine. You already have your place. You are already justified in, in God's eyes. So, what Jesus is reminding them here is He's saying, Look, there's two processes going on. One is salvation, one makes you clean before God and acceptable. And then there's that cleaning that we're talking about in verse two, where He's saying He's pruning and He's developing. Um, he's saying you're clean, but God continues to clean. You're in your place, but God continues to make sure of your place. Um, he's making a distinction. Jesus is really clearly making a distinction here. We're going to use some biblical words. They're fun to say. Between salvation, and everybody say it with me, and sanctification. Do you guys know what sanctification is? I always like to make sure. Okay? One day we will be, stand before God, glorified, glorified. Uh, uh, blameless, sinless, and we will live forever with him in that condition. Between now and then, God is constantly working on us to remove every obstacle from us to be closer and closer to Jesus. Okay? So the cleaning that he's talking about is the sanctification cleaning in verse two and the salvation cleaning in verse three. Pardon me. Ah That's good. Next time bring a Coca-Cola with you, it makes service better. I'm telling you, Jesus and Coca-Cola. All right, Uh, there is no work or process that will make you more saved. There's nothing you can do to make yourself more saved, more clean, more ready for Christ. You either are saved or you're not. And once you are, you are. Now the process is to draw you closer to Christ, to connect you deeper and deeper into that vine. Okay, the more I get connected to the vine, the more I get connected to the power and the life-sustaining uh, properties of that vine, the more I produce fruit, the more I become what I was always destined to be. God had a plan for me for the beginning, and that was to be tied into him. And so this pruning is not about saving me. This pruning is about making me who I am in Christ. More and more and more making me who I am. In Philippians, Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has already made me his own. And so this is the process we're talking about. Jesus is saying, look, you need to understand who you are. Once you understand who you are, you can understand the work God is doing on you. But if you don't understand who you are, and I got to say this. There, there are people that do this. I, I was one of them. I grew up in a church where every time you felt like you had done something wrong, you raised your hand, you went to the altar, and you got saved all over again. Thank God that he has told me in this verse that that's not how I have to live anymore. I am free. I am free to choose God. I am free to live. I am saved. God has done the redeeming work through Jesus Christ on the cross and once I have accepted that, I am, I am clean. I have a place. I am a live branch attached to a live vine that is being cared for. But God is not done with me. Thank goodness. My wife should have said amen right there. All right? And all the other people that have to work with me. All right? It should have been like, mm-hmm. Okay. I have a lady at work. Every time I do something wrong, she goes, mm-hmm. And I'm like, what I do? (laughs) I just know. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. Sometimes she tells me and sometimes she doesn't. Uh, So God's not done. I think every now and then God's up there looking at me going, it's time to prune. I can just hear God saying, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) Mm mm-hmm. I'm like, God's busy with me, right? And so he's constantly fitting me better. He's constantly making sure that stuff is not getting in the way. Obstacles that I'm hanging onto, he's cutting away. Right? Things that aren't good for me, things that are causing me to be sick or diseased in my spiritual walk, he is cleaning and cutting away. He is adjusting. He is wrapping me into the vine more and more. We're not done. And so we have this idea here, and it's very clear in this passage. It's no longer strange to me, it's, it's almost liberating. I am clean, I am saved. God's not done yet right and we should be excited about that because uh, unless you're really really egotistical you should realize you're not done yet alright if you're sitting in here and you think you're done real quickly just real quickly everybody do this turn to somebody sitting by you look them right in the eye go ahead I'm, and ask them while looking them right in the eye do you think God's done with me yet and if they can look you in the eye without laughing see there it is alright alright <laughs> Okay, there it is. All right. (laughs) So here's the deal. The work of God is sanctifying. He's constantly saving you, keeping you in ways that will prove you are the real deal to you and everyone that sees you. But you need to know you're the real deal. And God is constantly reminding you of that. I am pruning you. I am adjusting you. And when you produce fruit, that is how you know you're the real deal and how I'm glorified. That's what God tells you. And we need that. We need that. How many guys have ever been in a place where you needed to know that your relationship with God was real? The very circumstances you're in are God pruning you and adjusting you and using your circumstances and experiences to prove to you that he is not done with you yet. There is fruit coming. You are real. You don't need to come down to the altar again to get saved. You need to find out why God's doing what he's doing and invest in that. Now, maybe that's why you need to come down to the altar. Maybe that's why you need to pray. Maybe that's why you need to read. Maybe that's why you need to have accountability. Because you need help figuring out what God's doing in your life at the moment. That's awesome. But know you're free. Okay, I'm move on. I just love, that verse was such a stumbling block to me for so many years. And now that I've studied it, and got, I just, it's one of my favorite verses. All right, so what does it mean to abide? Don't put the next one up yet. Define the word abide, neighbors go. With your neighbor, define the word abide. What does it mean to abide? He uses this word like 30 times in the next 10 sentences, so you have to know what it means. Anybody? Who, who knows? Ted will buy you a candy bar if you get this right. Okay. T- apparently, Ted will buy you two candy bars. All right. Three? Wow. Okay. Say that again? Sit in, be with, in the middle of everything you're in. Okay, that's not bad. Anybody? Gary, what do you think? Your mom had an answer. It's your turn. Uh, just do it. Okay, it's Nike. Nike, we don't need just do it. New commercial, Nike commercial. Abide. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm abiding. All right. Yes, guys, it means to stay in, to stand firm. Go ahead. Uh, This is one of the many dictionary versions. It means to stable, be stable, remain stable, remain firm in. But there's an idea of abide that there's something against you, right? Why would I need to stand firm unless there was something I was standing firm against, right? We don't just naturally like, what are you doing, standing firm? why i don't know right no when you're like like if you're playing a sport and you like are ready for the opposition and you're standing firm you don't stay this way the whole time only when you need to right i imagine there's times when that i need to stand stand firm and and abide and it's because there's something i'm standing firm against and abide has that word there's a patience in it there's a Whatever is happening, it's not my favorite thing, but I'm going to go ahead and stand firm, and I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to remain, despite what's going on around me. Right? So this abide is more than just stay. It's stay in the face of. Okay? And that's important as we go through this. So, the, how do we stay stable? How do we remain fixed in Christ? Because there's so many great promises in this verse. He says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, um, that you'll produce much fruit. And then he says, anything you do, there's, nothing, there's really nothing that you can do well if you're not abiding in me. Nothing can be done unless you abide in me, nothing real. Everything that's done is done when we remain firm and stand in Christ. And then not abiding doesn't sound good either, because in not abiding he says, uh, who abides in me and I in him? He bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. If you don't abide in me, you're thrown away like a branch and you wither. Eventually, the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. That doesn't sound pleasant, right? Here's here's Christ saying, look, you need to know me. If you're sitting in here today and you don't know Christ, Christ is telling you from his word, you need to know him. Knowing him allows you to do everything you were designed to do. Not knowing him means one day you will be permanently put apart from him. You will be thrown away like a branch. He doesn't, he doesn't mince words. Some people say, oh, I love the gentle Jesus. There is no such thing. Jesus is very b- blunt and very truthful when it comes to what happens if you don't know him. And this is a very clear picture of what happens when we don't know him. We're eventually cut away and left to our own devices, and our own devices lead to death. Right, we become withered and eventually are useless and are thrown away. Um, but let's let's go back to what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking to Christians and he and he wants to talk about what happens when you abide and how we abide. So the first thing you got to do, if you're going to abide in Christ, is you've got to abide in His joy. Okay, and and I'm going to explain that. I'm going to open that up a little bit. But if you go to uh, further on in this chapter in fifteen eleven. He says, these things, talking about what what we're talking about, that I've spoken to you, uh, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Uh, In other words, he's saying, I'm telling you all of this so that you can enjoy things with my joy. You can see uh, by abiding in me, by standing firm in me, you can see all the things that I enjoy. You can see everything that gives me joy. You can see everything I love, everything I care, everything that just makes me joyful. And it doesn't matter where you see it or how it sees it, you'll experience that joy on my level. As close as you can come to that, I guess. He goes, you'll experience on a joy you're incapable of experiencing on your own. You'll be able to experience joy and see things the way I see them because you're hanging out in me. That sounds like a pretty good deal. We are ex- joined to the vine, which means we can experience absolute fullness of life no matter what is going on around us. See, the vine really doesn't care what the apple tree is doing. Could care less. If it even, ca- it it's, doesn't even care. It's not capable of caring, right? It doesn't care about anything that's going on. It just grows the branches. The branches grow in season in and out based on the vine. And so if we are into Jesus, if we are studying him, if we're coming to church, if we're fellowshipping, doing these things we call life teams, if we're looking at our world from a perspective of Jesus at the center and looking at everything else as something that God is in control of and is growing us into, using to growing us into Jesus, then we experience joy on a whole new level. Okay? Uh, you lose your job. Usually not a joyful experience, unless you really hate your job. Then joyful. Okay, But you lose your job. Not joyful. If I'm looking at it from my job's perspective. If I'm looking that out of the eyes of, I don't have a job. I had a job, now I don't have a job. I was getting paid, now I'm not getting paid. I had insurance, I'm not getting insurance. That's not going to be a joyful situation. But if I know Christ so well, that I know that I am plugged into a vine that provides all everything I need, all power, all uh, resources, all everything, and that God is constantly cutting and pruning that vine and taking things out of my life that I don't need, then I can confidently say, God says I don't need that job. There's no way I can say that unless I'm confidently rooted in that vine. And I'm used to God pruning me, and I'm used to God taking things away that I don't need. And then I'm, then I'm looking forward and saying, okay, God, you have one of two things for me going on here. You either have something completely different, or you're ready to put me in a different set of people who need to hear about you. And so I'm going to that job, whatever it is, pay more, pay less, I don't care I know when I'm there, you have a plan for me. What a great way to look at life. I'm sick. I can look at that one of two ways. I can look at that as something's wrong with me or that God is going to do something glorious. And I still may be sick, but God is going to use it somehow for something Glorious. I can have God's outlook on everything. And because I'm tied into him and can have that outlook, I can have joy about everything. This is a great passage. Jesus is getting us ready for life. Jesus is getting ready, his disciples ready for life after Jesus leaves. Because up until now, every time something goes wrong, Jesus is there to explain it. Jesus is there to say, stop doing that. Jesus is there to say, hey, let me heal that. Let me fix that. Let me explain. Let me go deep with you. He's there at every moment. And sometimes we have to dial into that. And the greatest thing he's telling us is I'm still going to be here. God's going to make sure you're dialed in still. That's his role in this. It's a really cool role. The second thing we need to abide in is his love. If nothing else, he speaks about more, Jesus speaks about love. Okay, It is an intense, purposeful love. And he is very, very specific about the fact that if we abide in him, we can experience that fully. It is that love that is the sap that is going through the vine. And when we experience it, that, that love hits us, and we start to abide in that and count on it. It's a love that he compares to God. He says, this is like how God loves me. I love you. You love others. And he says, as you grow, you start to see others and see everything with my love because you're in me and my love is unlimited. I just had this conversation with one of my students. How can God love people if he sends people to hell? I said, be very careful here. God, let's start with God loves everybody. And therefore, he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Will he allow it? Yes. Does he want it? No. And we started talking about what love really is. Well, if I had never experienced that through being in Christ, how could I explain it to that little girl in class? See, the purpose of abiding in him and being able to stand firmly in him is I know that I am loved, and I know he loves everybody else that I come in contact at least as much as he loves me, if not more. I'm hard to love sometimes, and Jesus does it anyways. right? So if he can love me, then what I can do is when things are going wrong and things aren't going right and I'm struggling, is I can work really hard to love others because that's going to root me deeper into his love, make me feel even more confident about how much he loves me. And God is pruning and God is cutting and God is adjusting and teaching me to love. I'm getting better at it. I wasn't very good at it. I'm getting better because God's not done with me yet. The beauty is I don't have to worry about my salvation. I don't have to be constantly looking over my shoulder saying, am I good enough? Am I okay? What do I need to do? God's saying, you're good enough. I love you. I got you. You don't have to worry about being good enough. What you have to worry about is letting me adjust and letting me trim and letting me teach you. So he does. Um, In verses 9 and 10, we're told that we're loved like God loved Jesus if we abide in him. We are then to love others like he loved us, like, like we were talking about. This is the commandments. What are the greatest commandments, they asked Jesus. What does Jesus say? Go ahead. Who knows? Love me, love others. He didn't make a big, long list. He said, love me, love others. And so God and Jesus have been in this relationship that is, defines love for all eternity, and we get grafted into that. We get attached to that. We become connected to a vine that's all about love. It's pretty cool. Is it any wonder that God's still pruning us? Because we don't naturally do these things, do we? How many of you are naturally good at loving other people? Okay, now I'm going to add to that. Because if you're naturally good at it, that means you love people you don't like naturally. Okay? I'm, I'm not good at that. I have a hard time liking people I don't like, let alone loving people I don't like right i have to deal with this all the time okay i'm like i don't like them but i have to love them and then i it's it's hard because it's really hard to truthfully make that statement i don't like them but i love them no I don't. I don't i don't I'm not doing either right now and then i have to adjust okay um and i have to learn that with love comes accepting of someone and all their faults right and i start to realize that there are things that are likable about them and i have to focus on those Um, He's constantly removing barriers, constantly cleaning us up, constantly teaching us, but we have to dive in. That's why he says in this verse, abide in me while I abide in you. He's not going anywhere. He's dialed into us, but we constantly have to be attentive to what he's leading us to do. Otherwise, we're not going to get the value out of it. We should. It's this idea of understanding that the vine is the center of everything, right? Right? And out of that grows everything else. And so if we if we live in that center, if we abide in him while he's abiding in us, he's not letting go, he's not gonna. If you know him, if you have accepted him, he is not going to let you go. You have to hold on equally tight. You have to want everything that's coming out of that as more and more as you can and as you develop and you start to produce this fruit you start to realize it's worth it because if you read those Galatian uh, uh, characteristics again who wouldn't want to have more a little bit more love anybody hate love in general okay just one check okay joy peace patience goodness gracious I could use more patience I teach high school people okay and every now and then a kid will raise their hand which I've taught them to raise their hand correctly. So they raise their hand like this in my classroom. They raise the gauntlet of knowledge. And they ask a question. And sometimes, I want to tell you, there is such a thing as a dumb question. You were told your whole life, oh, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Yes, there is. And you just asked it. Uh, and I love you anyways. Right? I'm, I'm blunt with my kids. when they, I'm like, really? Think about what you just asked me. And they're like, oh yeah, <laughs> never mind. Right? And... And so, but I have to love them, and I have to be patient because I'm a teacher, and that's what they pay me for. Okay, and I love to see kids learn. Right, my favorite day is when a kid asks a good question, a really good one. I'm like, ooh, it's a good question. Let's let's talk about that. My favorite day. But if I don't be patient, I'm not waiting for it. Hey, if you haven't learned this yet, how many guys are are either newly married or not married? Raise your hand. In other words, you have no children right now. Okay, I'm just going to tell you one thing. You know why God made children? So that when he prunes you in that way, you get patience. Okay, just be ready. Like children, patience, 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 patience. Do your homework, do your homework, do your homework. It's ridiculous. But it's fun. We learn. All right. As we read through this, are you guys starting to understand that all the stuff you're going through right now, all the stuff you're dealing with is God pruning you? If you know him. If you don't know him, this process is not going on. He does not prune dead branches. He does not clean dead branches. You must know him. You must be dialed in for this to be going on. So if you're sitting here going, hey, that sounds great. I'd love to be pruned. I'd love to be adjusted. I'd love to learn. I'd love to do this stuff. And you don't know him, you've got step one to take care of first. And then God goes from there. You've got to know him. After you know him, this is an ongoing process, and we should welcome it. It's not always fun, but we should welcome it. All right, so let's do the last couple things, and I'll, I'll tie it up. Um, verse 7, I think, reminds us that we're to go to Jesus and ask. He says, if you abide in me and in my word and you ask, nothing will be held back. Nothing will be held back. I'm like, sweet, I got a list. I'm abiding I need a Ferrari. I need a bulldog, which I'm not going to get because my wife keeps telling me no. Uh, But she can't argue with God. So, all right. She, She can, but he will prune her. All right. So that's how I think about that. But I'm wrong. I'm thinking about it wrong. God says if I abide in him, ask for anything and it won't be held back. See, the thing is, is we see that ask for anything and we're like, sweet, I got my list. And we skip the first part. If we're abiding in him, we know what to ask for. Right? How many guys have ever gone to a parent in, in your lifetime, not recently necessarily, and knew that what you were asking for, they were not going to refuse? Mom, is it okay if I clean my room? No! <laughs> Whose who's mom ever in the history of the world has said no to that? Right? No, you clean too much, child. must take a break from your cleaning. (laughs) None of my children, all right? So, or me. (laughs) So, there are certain things that when we know the people we're around, we know if we ask, we're going to get. For example, if I ask my wife, hey, can I have some time just you and me? That has nothing to do with me, okay? Really, it doesn't. Because I'm not a quality time person. I'm a, like, I have a totally different gifting set. But my wife is a quality time person. So if I know her, and I'm into her, which I am because she's cute, all right? And I ask her for quality time, I know it's not going to be refused. Because I'm asking for the right thing. I'm asking for something that matters to her. I'm asking for something I know she needs and wants. It's the same thing with God. As the more and more we get into God, our prayers become more focused, our prayers actually get involved with things that God wants us to ask for, and he's waiting for us to ask for, like more fruit. Hey, God, can I have some more of these characteristics, please? Yes. He's never going to say no to that. He's never going to say no when you ask him for more patience, ever. He's never going to say no when you ask for the ability to love someone better than you're loving them now. You start to ask for the right things. He's never going to say no when you say, God, I've got this person in mind that I would like you to know and I'd like them to know you if you pray for that and you're in him he's not going to say no we start to want what he wants and we start to ask for what he wants and somehow that makes us full like well what if what I want and what God wants aren't the same thing do do we really need to ask that How many times in your lifetime already have you chosen to pursue something that you wanted and God didn't, and how did that work out? I don't think we need to go into that. I think we know the answer to that, but we do it anyways. So God's saying, Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to pray right, know me. As you abide in me and you know my joy and you know my love, ask. I'm going to say yes because you're going to ask the right question. I don't have to say no because you're not going to ask me for something you shouldn't have. It's pretty cool. We should be praying that our lives bear fruit. This prayer will be answered every time. Okay, so these verses in John 15 remind us a couple things. We are are united to Christ upon salvation. We're united to his joy, to his love, to his peace. We don't just have joy, love, and peace because we're in him. This is cool. We don't have just joy, love, and peace because we're in him, but because he's in us we have his joy his love his peace how cool is that i don't have to count on my joy which is it won't always last i don't have enough i don't have to count on my love because my love is faulty i don't have to be waiting for me to create peace because i'm in christ because i'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me i have everything he has to offer I can pursue it all. I can have all of that. And this is how we cope while we're waiting for Jesus to come back. This is how we grow. This is how we know him. And this is how we're known. We abide in him. So my encouragement for you guys this week is to do this. Look at your week. Your week is probably as busy or, as, or busier than mine. I know what it means to be busy, and I know what it means to be out of time. But I'm going to ask you to do something different. This week, I'm going to ask you to get your calendar out. And I'm going to ask you to start your week not based on your job hours. This is, I know this is going to sound totally weird. Not based on how much time you spend with your family. Not based on how much t- downtime you need or, or what you need to do the things you need for you. I'm not going to ask you to start with any of that. You'll get to that. You have to. What I'm going to ask you to start with is your time learning how to abide in Jesus. Set your calendar up. This week. Just this week and see what happens. Jesus first. Jesus first. In that time with Jesus, as you're setting up this time and saying, This is the time that works for me, and I'm gonna do this first. I'm gonna schedule everything else around this. Instead of trying to fit Jesus in at the end, because that won't work, I promise you, start with Jesus first. When you get Jesus first, during that time, say, Okay, God, what are you doing? Jesus, reveal to me what God is cutting back, what he is pruning, what he is adjusting, and help me take that view on these issues. And let that be your prayer this week. God, cut me back where I need to be cut back so I can produce more fruit. We are promised over and over and over again, this is a life we will always be satisfied with, abundantly satisfied, and that everything else works according to that plan your job, your family, your health, everything works according to setting God first. And so let's do that this week. Let's put God first. Let's work on abiding in him. Let's work on knowing him and being filled with his joy and his peace and his love because he tells us he'll abide back in us. I'm gonna pray real quick and then I'm gonna let Ted come up. Um, first, if you don't know God, let's just kind of bow heads and, and get ready to pray. But if you don't know Jesus, if this is like, hey, this sounds good, but I don't have a relationship with Jesus in order for this to happen, it's pretty simple. Right now, if Jesus is working on your heart, don't take another minute. Don't take another chance that you'll be that dead wood that gets cut away. Right now, just pray a very simple prayer. It, it goes like this Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've been doing this without you. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Craft me into this vine. Let me live. God, forgive me my sins. You are the Lord of my life. Jesus says if if you pray that prayer, that simple prayer, asking him to come in and be Lord of your life and to take care of your sin, that it's a done deal. For those of us that know Christ and are saved, I pray that we can be more like you, God. I, I pray that we can know you better and know you well. God, I pray that you continue to work on us and and, and cut away what needs to be cut away. And God, as we endure the pain and, and sometimes the persecution of life, that we understand it's you making us more of who we're supposed to be. And that we don't look at it as a painful experience, but as a growing experience. And God, we can focus on you. Be with us this week as we go through that. Let us see you first. Thank you for everything you are in Jesus' name.